The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Brother Mike concluded his sermon by describing contentment among the Lord's people. And in particular, he focused on how that we arrive to that in a healthy church where baptized believers are benefiting from the fellowship, the encouragement, and the guidance that they receive from other members. And I hope that we have at least tasted that here at Zion. We have found a contentment in the Lord's kingdom. And that's what I want to try to speak to you about tonight is the subject of contentment. And as we go through this, you'll find that contentment is not found in the way the world thinks it should be found. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, The writer says, let your conversation, that is the way you live your life, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now there's several basic points we need to understand from this verse and then we'll try to proceed in more detail with regard to what the Bible has to say about contentment. Now first of all notice here that contentment is acquired by doing that that is the opposite of covetousness. Now, doesn't the world believe that if you will go after the things you want and accomplish your goal in amassing worldly things, you will finally arrive at contentment? But this verse presents those two in stark contrast. Let your conversation, let the way in which you live your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Now we'll try to develop that idea as we go along in, in the sense that when should I be content with regard to the things that I have? But then he gives us insight and says, the reason we should be content with the things that we have as, to, as opposed to being covetous is because the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we can already see that true contentment has to do with our relationship with the Lord. Amen. And I know you understand when I use the word relationship, I'm not using that in reference to our vital relationship by virtue of the new birth, but I'm speaking of enjoying that relationship. 
in the same way you would mean it if you said, uh, my wife and I have a good relationship. Well, she's your wife legally, but you may not be enjoying that relationship. So here we see that contentment is found in our relationship with the Lord, not in pursuing covetousness. Now, the word content has a very simple meaning. And I consulted with Strong's Concordance. I looked at Thayer's lexicon, a couple of other sources, even traced it back to the root word. But no matter where you go, contentment simply means it is enough. That's the meaning of it. It is enough. Very few of us are content, are we? Contentment says what I have in my relationship with the Lord is enough. Now let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And before we uh, read a few verses here, I want you to keep in mind that the Apostle Paul, who is the author of 2 Corinthians, wrote to the church at Philippi, and we're not going to turn to that because we want to focus on what he said in 2 Corinthians 11. But as we read this, keep in mind that Paul told the church at Philippi that I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The word state there means condition. Paul says, I've learned. This is an, this is, uh, an acquired uh, character trait. It's not natural at all. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Right. Now as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, keep in mind that what he wrote there in Philippians was after what he talked about in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, and beginning with verse 24. Here's a man uh, that described himself as being content. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Five times I was beaten with thirty-nine stripes at the hand of the Jews. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, 
in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now I want you to see this side point. Paul put the care of all the churches in the same category as beaten five times by the Jews but being beaten by the Jews with 39 stripes five times. He put it in the same category as hunger and thirst and being cold and nakedness. He says, beside those things, it's almost as if those, those things aren't a big deal. <laughs> Besides those things, this is a man that's saying, I've learned. In whatsoever state I am, I've learned in those things to be content. But he says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. The next time you ponder the thought that it will be all right to miss church today. It'll be all right to... Go hang out with this group of people that aren't good people to be around. The next time you consider making a decision like that, one of the things you need to consider is honoring the Lord. That's the main thing you need to consider. But also look at what it does to your pastor. Yes, amen. That which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. And even if the church members are doing well, the pastor still feels responsible for them as their spiritual father. You know, John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children Walk in truth. Amen. So Paul said, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, to therewith be content. I tell you, I don't compare to the Apostle Paul. How about you? If they threw one stone at me one time, I wouldn't be content. I would be complaining. Most of us have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to complain. That describes most of us, doesn't it? But oh, what a different perspective the Apostle Paul had. And there's no way he could have had that unless there was something he had that could not be seen with a natural eye. And that had to do with his relationship with the Lord. And when God's people enjoy that social band, as Brother Mike described, that even adds to that. In other words, if I'm under persecution, I certainly want to feel close to the Lord, but having the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same struggles, that's just icing on the cake, isn't it? And that's what God has provided. And that's still adequate for the 21st century. That will always be God's way of sustaining his people and blessing them with a sense of contentment 
regardless of their circumstances. Now, let me mention two things that do not bring contentment, yet most people in the world think they do. Or they're trying to find contentment in this way. The first one is staying busy. We're a busy culture, aren't we? Think of the conveniences we have that ought to free up all kind of time. Is there anybody here that once you acquired a smartphone, you just had all kinds of extra time? Anyone here in that situation? You know what happens? The more technology you have, technology you have the more conveniences you have, you, that takes away from the time it would ordinarily take to do that task. But guess what? You fill that up with something else. Right, right. And then if that technology, which saved you a lot of time, if there's a problem with that technology, you have to go back to all the time it used to require to do that. And, and, and that overlaps this new thing you uh, added to the time saved with the technology. Think about that. And that's why if one little thing goes wrong, people get mad. If I'm delayed five minutes on the highway, they get mad. Why? Because their commute is based on how quick they can get there in a modern automobile. You know, I, I can think about this. Oftentimes, almost every Monday, uh, following the Sunday I'm with the church at Las Vegas, I eat breakfast in Las Vegas and go to bed at my house. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Eat breakfast in Las Vegas and that night I'm at home with my family. And see, we build our schedule, we add things to our schedule based on all that time that this modern convenience saves. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 to see what the Bible says about that issue. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now we've often used this verse where it says bodily exercise profiteth little, and that means uh, for a little while the benefits are short term. But we often have looked at that as if it only applies to working out, you know, staying in shape, exercising in that way. But that's not really what's under consideration right, here. Right. Now that could fall under the, the heading of what's under consideration here. But notice he's contrasting bodily exercise to godliness. 
Godliness is a general heading of things pertaining to your relationship with the Lord. And in like manner, bodily exercise is a general uh, heading over all the ways you exert your energy in things pertaining to this life. And they are all temporary in terms of benefit. No matter how impressed you are with something you've accomplished, especially if it's some project you've done around the house, you know, it won't be very long before you will see it deteriorate. Right, amen. The hymn writer said, change and decay and all around I see. O thou that changest not, abide with me. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But watch this. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now the key to understanding this verse is the usage of that word promise. And that word promise says there are benefits with regard to or having to do with things uh, of this life, of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. He's not saying you'll have more crowns in heaven. Right. Not saying you'll have a bigger mansion in heaven. But what he's saying is this bodily exercise only has to do with this temporal life that James described as, as, a, as just a, a vanishing thing. It's a vapor, he said, that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Bodily exercise only has that promise. It only pertains to, it is only in regard to this vain Short life we have here on the earth. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is, it benefits you now. But it's also, as the old preachers used to say, a foretaste of what you're going to benefit from in the future. The things you lay hold upon. You know Paul said lay hold on eternal life. That doesn't mean that you're void of it and you better grab a hold of it where you'll go to heaven. What that means is, is you've got this inheritance in heaven. You've got this promise of life. Paul said in writing to Titus, we're in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And Paul says lay hold on that now. Godliness, uh, godliness, as he says, is profitable unto all things because it has promise of this life, of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Amen. But oh, how we busy ourselves with bodily exercise. And that means to exert yourself in a very vigorous way. You know, one of the things that my son, and I'm sure all of them hate about football practice, is running sprints. Because that's when you exert all you have. 
many of God's people are exerting all they have to accomplish and try to find contentment in this present world. And the simple message that Brother Mike preached is the answer. Amen. 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 Professing your faith in Christ and joining that social band. Amen. That will be your greatest friends in the world. Amen. You know, I'm amazed at all the preachers that we have, our, our personalities are so diverse, but I feel like they're my brothers. Amen. And they are. We're a spiritual, we're a, a spiritual social band. Don't get too busy. You know, there was a movement that, that came out, it's probably been about 20 years ago. I think it was about 25 years ago. And these movements uh, run their course. This one was called the Promise Keepers. You heard of that? The Promise Keepers. And I'm not saying there was nothing good accomplished. But the idea was that you need to uh, associate yourselves with other men and make yourselves accountable to other men so that you, you can develop spiritually in that environment. And I heard a primitive Baptist preacher say, I'm too busy bonding with my wife and children than to bond with other men. Amen? Amen. That's the way God would have it. And you can add into that bonding with the other church members. That's right. That's the greatest bond. Right. I've said it this way. I'm not looking for more things to do. I'm, I need to spend more time doing the important things right. Amen. Amen. We work to provide for our family. I being called as a minister have a responsibility there. I have a wife and I have children. I don't need anything added. I'm not complaining. You understand? That's what I need to focus on. I'm not, I'm not the husband I should be. I'm not the father I should be. I'm not the preacher I should be. And I need to spend more time doing that right. Not adding other things. Not going to some new event to teach me how to do those things better. I'm going to say it again. This morning, Brother Chris preached the best I've ever heard on that subject. And you young people better appreciate it. There's no seminar you could go to anywhere that would compare to that. Amen. He covered the field of how to approach being single and yet at the same time wanting to be married. His old elder Darty used to say that was top of the line. <laughs> it sure was. Another thing that we struggle with if we follow the world is the deception of riches. Oh, yeah. That's the big problem, isn't it? Right. Because we're living in such a prosperous culture. What we enjoy in America is, for the most part, foreign yes. to Bible history. Right. Amen. God's people knew nothing of it. There were times when 
They had some some wonderful blessings when they obeyed the Lord. But as far as all the, the comforts that we have today, it's unprecedented. But you know, isn't it interesting how that that doesn't bring happiness? How many people have you heard that grew up in the Depression say, we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor because everybody was poor, but we were happy. Amen. How many people do you hear say, we're rich, we're doing well, and we're happy? You don't hear that, do you? But notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, uh, 6 with regard to this matter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 but they that will be rich. The key to that statement is the word will. That's right. Amen. It does not say that, that he's not addressing those that are rich. Right. They may be rich, but that's not the issue. He's not addressing, it's not necessarily addressing just rich people. In the same way that there's nothing wrong with money, the problem is the love of money. And he's going to address that. But they that will be rich, that describes someone that's beginning to lean in that direction. They're entertaining that thought that, hey, I know there's not a church where I'm considering moving, but look how much money I'll make. That's what it means. They that will be rich. Fall. You just stop right there and that would make you want to turn around, wouldn't you? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Listen to all those words and take heed. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. He's going to say more about this later. But the temptation is to compromise for the sake of riches. And that's like a snare that you're entrapped in. That's a snare around your ankle when you do that. It's going to, it's going to bring harm. It's, it's, going to, it's going to interfere with your life. He says, uh, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And notice this, it's like you're just going down a whirlpool into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men. You know, one of the deaths that people say they would dread the most would be drowning. He says, if you will be rich... You fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It would be bad enough to say that you're drowned in destruction. But you know what the word perdition means? Final ruin. Going all the way to the bottom. You know how it started out? <coughs> you know, I know I don't have my priorities quite as they should be, but I'm thinking about my future. You know what Satan wants you to do? Compromise now 
where you can live life without compromise in the future. See, because you don't have the future. The future is not affecting how you're going to raise your children right now. The future has no influence on the present. All you have is today, the present. Don't start down that road of entertaining the thought of being rich. Now look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Here's what that means. All kinds of evil will be engaged in in order to get money. Isn't that true? Look at the world of politics. The love of money is the root of all evil. You can just look at some of the things that happen on a local level that are because of the love of money. How often do you see someone that you would say, well, you know, they were doing great with what they had. But see, if you will be rich, you don't look at it that way. If you will be rich, you're not saying, well, I should be content with what I have. No, you're you're not satisfied. See, that that money you have, that doesn't bring contentment. Bodily exercise profiteth little. It has nothing to do with things that are to come. It only pertains to this life. And read the book of Ecclesiastes and, and see sometime how often he refers to labor as something that is vain. And yet at the same time, he refers to labor as a good thing for the children of men to be occupied in. It's a matter of what your priorities are. Amen. If you're living to get rich, labor is not a good thing. Right. If you're laboring while enjoying the fellowship and peace of the Lord, that is a good thing. Amen. The love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, notice the words here, they erred from the faith. That means they swerved off course. They erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Oh, read those two verses again and again and and meditate on those, uh, those warnings in terms of the consequences. Now finally, what will bring contentment? We've already referred to that in a general way. But let's look specifically at what Timothy says about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, I've found that when I feel close to the Lord, I may be driving an old beat-up automobile, but I'm so much happier than if I have something nice and new, but I don't feel close to the Lord. Isn't it that way with you? Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, if you're able to live a godly life and you're content, Oh, that is enough. Now somebody says, well, wait, how do I decide on 
work how much money I need to make and be content, and yet I could make more money. And where do I draw the line on that? Here's what you do. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, speaking primarily of food and raiment, all these things shall be added unto you. If you prioritize the kingdom of God, he will open the doors that he wants to open. Don't you try to go through some of them that are locked. Don't you go through a door that's going to get slammed in your face. You stand still while seeking the kingdom of God first. He may give you a job that pays more money without compromising the things of his kingdom. Hey, but true. you seek his kingdom first and right. he'll show you right. where to draw the line and what to do. Godliness. With contentment is great gain. Are you content just to be godly? We ought to be. Content just to be godly. Now notice this. And we want to close in just a minute. Notice this. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Did you notice that there's greater emphasis on that you can't take anything with you than there is that you came with nothing? Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. The greater emphasis is that you leave here with nothing. Now, we all know you didn't come here with anything. Right. Right. I've seen six babies come into this world with nothing. And you were the same way. You had nothing. And if somebody wouldn't have done something for you or put something on you, you wouldn't have lasted very long. That's right. But he says, you know, that we kind of know that's true. But it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, if you're seeking the kingdom of God at first, and your needs are being provided and you're providing for your family, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let us say, it is enough. Amen. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.